0: Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, the host of this podcast. And after spending my entire career in the sports sales industry, I wanted to continue to find ways to give back to individuals that want to get into this business or individuals that are currently in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'll have the privilege to sit down with top-ranking professionals in our industry. You'll hear their career path, what they look for in successful people, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your every day. Time certainly flies. It's crazy to think it's season four of 52 Weeks of Hustle already. With season four, I'm going to have the privilege of sitting down with industry experts to discuss their career path. We're going to discuss three key topics that are current in the industry and three hustle hot seat questions and three pieces of advice all under 24 minutes. Now on to our guests this week. Having a career in business of entertainment doesn't always have to be sports. Much of a career path is the learning experience along the way to really help build a successful career. Our next guest did just that, and I'm excited to share his story as we welcome Michael Ferris, Senior Director of Business Strategy and Insights for the Country Music Association. Michael,
1: welcome to the show. All oh, right, it's great to be here. Thanks for asking me to do it, Travis.
0: Mike, always a pleasure talking to you. Certainly excited to dive into your career. And, and now, Michael, you don't. You don't work in sports anymore, but you started your career in sports with the Aspire Group. Our loyal listeners certainly know that programs. We've had Dr. Bernie Mullen, Bill Fagan, Chad Cardinal, the whole group. And how was that experience early on in your career?
1: Well, I was coming out of grad school. And so actually going to work for Bernie and that crew was like an extension of being in an intensive (laughs) postdoc in the sport industry for that quite amount of time because I was sitting there working with truly people that really cared about the connection element of new employees and the teaching piece. Uh, but truly, like I was stood up there from like a history of mentors, right? And so here I am at, I was 23, getting to work directly for Bernie um, and helping him kind of birth a consulting and research end of Aspire. And I was propped up there through connections with Dr. Bill Sutton and connections through when I went to school with Dr. Joe Cobbs. And all these connections led me there on this path of like just wanting to figure out what I wanted to do. And truly I think the most experience that I got was being able to tie in someone who had no sports selling interest at all. I didn't wanna sell a ticket. That was not what I wanted to do. And I was sitting there in the room with people like AJ Smith, Alan Pandiani, Mike Boswell, these people that in their careers were number one in their sales rooms, let alone obviously Bill Fagan and Bernie and Chad, and taking everything they've learned, putting that into my toolkit, then going to our partners uh and being able to pull those into my toolkit, and then being able to riff with those with Bernie and having somebody there always green lighting yellow lighting, and red lighting every stop we did to make sure that we were improving and fine tuning so it was really the ultimate best practices i I don't know if I could have asked for a better starting point,
0: yeah, absolutely, and you know as much as as we talk about just you know working with with great people and obviously all of them being mentors you know and and I couldn't ask for more you know great friends of mine and and always uh you know always are there to help and I think that's probably the number one piece of advice in anything it, it starts and stops with people and you know while with the aspire group you're the director of strategic consulting and research which was a role really helping all of the revenue verticals in a variety of ways as you just discussed a lot of moving pieces how did you focus on prioritizing but even more important
1: executing uh man I would tell you I at the early start not we didn't do very well at that because I think we were in this place where we were trying to justify something that hadn't been done before with Aspire, And so we were going into a lot of partners and offering a lot of value add work, right? Because we believe that doing research or thinking about data was going to empower the sales team. So we were taking on a lot, of, a lot of work while also going out and look for clients who we may not actually be doing any of the fan relationship management or the, the outsource sales support with. And so at any point, the team that I was leading was working on 12 to 15 clients. You know, really after my first year there, uh, during my last four, we were 12, 15 at a time project-wise. I think over the course of those five years, uh, we worked with over 80 different clients in over seven different countries. And so a lot of like the prioritizing piece was almost like drinking from the fire hose. It felt like a lot of times we were working on what mattered on the timeline piece. There were a lot of 2AMs with a research Mm -hmm. team. Um, We were small, nimble, we were kind of young, we were willing to do that type of work. And I think what came out is we eventually started to develop focuses, right? And templicizing things. And so how we were prioritizing focusing is more on the relationship end, right? We were so much more involved in like, what did this research mean and do? And we spent a lot of time doing that towards the end. Uh, That I think sometimes from a traditional project management tool, I look back at my time at Aspire and going, this is not a model (laughs) that I would implement, right? It was a model of fun, creativity, kind of really being able to shop ideas. Um, But really, we were kind of just going from thing to thing. We were really pushing and doing work that mattered and trying to move quick and do a lot at once. Uh, I think that made us somewhat of a better team uh, when we got to the end of it. Um, I had one person, we eventually grew to four, we got better. Uh, But a lot of that was we were kind of at the speed of now uh, with a lot of our clients. And so we tried to live to it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's always key in business in general, right? The speed of now, but you've got to you got to own it and live up to it, as your point. And you, after five and a half years with the Aspire Group, ton of learning, ton of experience, you decided to join the Country Music Association, which you're still were you're still at. Why was that the right move for you?
1: Well, it was more of a personal one for me at that time. I was traveling pretty consistently as I matured at Aspire. Um, I was starting to to really own uh, most of our research partnerships um and so i was on the road and you know one night sitting in eugene oregon and then flying out to green bay wisconsin and looking up at the hotel room knowing i had a baby on the way it just felt like that wasn't sustainable for me personally and my wife and i were already in nashville and uh, so i went with kind of a passion play i always had a, a draw to music i thought i would be in music uh before i even kind of went to college originally and cma had an opening I took a couple steps back in my career where, you know, Aspire, I was sitting kind of really leading all of our efforts on research consulting. I was reporting directly to Bernie, working with all of our C-level. And um, it made sense for me to kind of jump in, learn something new, stay at home, uh, and really double down. And luckily, the move to CMA has been a tremendous one for me, and I'm really glad I did it.
0: No, that's awesome. What advice do you have on that one? I think that's a key point you just brought up. It was like, you know what? Every once in a while you'll make a move, maybe more personal, but it may take a a step back to then, you know, maybe it's a couple steps forward or you have to work your way up. What advice do you have for listeners that are maybe in a similar situation, right? Personal end comes up a lot.
1: Yeah. I mean, I still had very like tangible and I don't really like the word aggressive, but, you know, I still had like goals that I really wanted to go after professionally. Right. And, and I knew that stepping back was something that, I mean, I I think being very transparent when I was on the road and getting to talk with a lot of athletic directors and, you know, people at sea levels and across sport entertainment, there somewhat was a common thread of like lack of time for themselves and family. And there was a point kind of where I was going, where, I was like, I'm going to end up like that. And I feel like I should take a moment to breathe and find an organization that allowed that to happen. And so when I was kind of looking at alternatives, I wanted to find an organization that one took all the skill sets I was doing at Aspire, and I could maximize that. And when I started at CMA, I was just in the research department. I was actually doing way less than what I was doing at Aspire. But what I saw was opportunity. I saw marketing teams and partnership teams that were really creative and really hungry for data and were wanting someone that was more weedy with them and how can you empower that i was seeing a ticketing team that had opportunity to be uh, more innovative and i was like okay well i think i have strengths that could go into that and so i've kind of leaned back and i said hey this might be something where i could really double down and focus on family for a year and a half two years and look at the opportunities at an organization. And if I fall in love with them and it feels like a place I can go, I, th- I think it's a place that would support it. And luckily that's came to fruition, but it also goes back to that old adage of just saying yes. Right. So I just right. went to an organization that that felt passion for me. Uh, I felt passion for it. And I just said yes to opportunities that came along. And, and luckily the work-life balance piece has been something that's been uh, pretty consistent since we've been here. And the and luckily, my daughter now loves that I work in country music, even though she's only five. So I can
0: say I'm sure she loves it. Well, you know, Michael, the Country Music Association is a premier trade association for the country music industry. The association represents professionals and serves as a critical resource of support and information. And, you know, three big events per year with CMA Awards, CMA Fest, and the CMA Country Christmas. How do some of those and their very large events compare with some of the sporting events that you've worked or you've been a part of?
1: Well, I think the scale is pretty massive when it comes to on the CMA side comparative to, you know, an average tour, you know, with CMA Fest, we're doing four nights at uh, Nissan Stadium, the home of the Tennessee Titans. And, you know, we're pulling 80,000 plus ticketed purchasers, um, you know, there's estimates of upwards of 100,000 people around the footprint over those days because we have free attendees and paid attendees you talk so, about you
0: talk about the work life balance. Obviously, my wife works at Nissan, and those four days, I know I'm not going to be seeing her.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, I I probably see your wife more than yes she sees you. And, Absolutely. Uh, I think it's fun because we look at the sport context and we go like, okay, college football, it's X home games and every Saturday and basketball, so it's like really spaced out. And I think for us, we're attacking four days and we don't have a lot of time to make up for mistakes, right? So we got to learn quick and make those movements. Uh, we just finished the CMA awards um, here recently, and it's a live live, right? If something yes. goes wrong, if if people aren't in the building, if we're not getting our industry in at the right times, that matters. And so I think where we might have live sporting events, but it doesn't, to me, it doesn't feel like it has the same urgency of a true like live, never want, never going to happen again kind of moment on TV, Uh, that gets really exciting. And so I look at sport a lot. I think when we look at ticket and marketing and how do you build fans, I think there's a lot of parallels between what's happening in music and sport. Um, And I think on the touring side, uh, the, the ticket piece just doesn't have the same relationship. Right. And so we tend to look at it maybe more transactionally where an artist is going to play in Louisville, Kentucky. They may or may not come back that next year. It may be two or three years before they hit that city again, or might be different types of of houses that they're visiting or venues that they're visiting, and so that experience is going to change. And I think we start to look at CMA Fest and the awards more in that relationship end, uh, because with we're you know with the awards we're doing a couple thousand industry people, uh, festival is called the industry event uh, in a lot of ways, um, and so we we lean on sport, but obviously I think the scale. And the kind of the intensity of that moment just feels a little different than what I've received in sport.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of those things you mentioned was when it comes to live TV, there's a lot of things that can happen, you know, and you guys, it's it's unlike a sporting event where there's not really a time frame. like it, it could go into overtime or extras or whatever. It's, you've got to dedicate everything. What's your advice to listeners regardless of that, but in general in their career, your advice on how people should portray and view how to pivot.
1: Ah <laughs> uh, man, uh COVID was a great learner in that, right? When yep. you know you, you look at CMA just externally, I mean, we are a trade association, right? So we have a, a heavy quantity of members that we want to serve and we we care about the growth of country music globally, right? That is our that is our kind of main focus. But if you pull back to what most people know, we produce tv shows and have live events right that's what the fan believes cma does and so when you actually can't do that for a period of time but you still have a relationship with the tv supplier to produce content you have to think pretty quickly and i you know one of the things that was kind of interesting for for me is my whole career i never played on the content side of things so learning tv learning production elements learning how it impacts tickets all really new to me you know actually during covid we didn't have fest, and so all the rage was festivals were going virtual and so we ended up doing a four-hour live stream on youtube with with some of it was recorded live some of it was pre-recorded we had hosts we had all these things and somehow or another i got in the middle of this kind of helping quarterback it and what an experience to go from someone who had no skill set on that to having a team that said hey we need someone who can act as a project manager that can help us do this. And I made plenty of mistakes. I was able to really create some moments of bonding with a lot of teammates. And I think that was interesting, right? It's a pivot of like, it's not your skill set, It's not something you traditionally do, but you're able to do it. And I think on the live live side, when we're at events, we have to kind of make a decision. Yeah. And we'll assess if it's the right one afterwards, but we at least need to make the decision now. And, you know, we have a brand new floor for the CMA Awards this year. We had a brand new set. So we had to learn on event night, and the day before events, we realized that there were about fifty seats on the floor that were blocked by cameras. These are our most expensive seats. It's our industry. uh, It's our board members. We reset the floor overnight, and that's something where you kind of just got to make that decision here at live. Know you can do better next year, Uh, and I think that's a lot of what our leadership kind of empowers us to do in a lot of ways. Is hey, it's okay if we don't. we're not there hundred percent, let's at least just move forward. Um, So that's, that's a fun piece of it to me, at least.
2: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
0: Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Michael Ferris, Senior Director of Business Strategy and Insights for the Country Music Association. And Michael, let's get into three hot topics. You know, back to the beginning, you attended Northern Kentucky University and you received a degree in sports business. Then you went on to UCF, received an MBA in sports business management. And now throughout the podcast, we've talked a lot about innovation and technology and, you know, over the next five years and even kind of think back to to your college days, like what do you feel like organizations should, should do to continue to enhance in that data and analytics space?
1: Yeah, I think it's easy for us to probably riff on automation, AI and the impacts it takes, but I still think a lot of organizations are not thinking enough about the human capital related to these projects. And we're getting like too caught up in what's happening tech without pulling back and saying, what's truly kind of the right support structures we need to make these projects successful. I have a lot of colleagues that are in other spaces where like, hey, we have all the tech, we just don't have the staff. You know, we're fighting for an extra head because we can't get the reports quick enough. Or I have people going, hey, we have plenty of staff, we're able to win those battles, but they're not giving us the tech to actually move it forward. And it's like, okay, so the plan isn't being supported at the right levels of that organization. And at the same time, uh, we're not thinking about who's doing it, because we're too caught up in kind of the uh, for less or better words, the sex appeal of it, right? Yep. Saying we have it, saying we're doing the right things, but we're not really maximizing those returns. I think it is a very consistent topic across yeah. every organization I talk to rather than like, have you been using automation? What's the new algorithm you're doing? What's this regression model? Like, yeah. That stuff is fun, uh, but the X's and O's still matter.
0: Yeah, it all comes down to if you can't execute, it doesn't matter how fun it is. It's not going to work. Absolutely, yeah. Your question, too, over the years, there's been a lot of discussions about finding ways to get to know who is in the building from a data standpoint, you know, and, and you talked about kind of your three big events from that perspective. What have you seen successful thus far and what is the next stage of understanding consumer behaviors?
1: So I think still finding out who's in the building is is one of the bigger challenges uh, that at least we have at CMA Um, this is the first year that we've kind of taken ownership of our ticket platform decisions, at least at CMA Fest, uh, but enabling transfer, understanding who's transferring, you still don't get the full picture. And so what really is for us kind of going forward is we've been trying to think about how do we give fans value to tell us who they are in venue through playlisting, through app designs, through fan engagement programs really typical things that you're going to see as best practices across. I think everybody's still fighting for that because people are still coming in mass with two or three tickets in their wallet, you know, scanning it. You don't know everybody. You don't know why they're necessarily there. We have large groups of people that are coming to CMA Fest tour group wise, being able to track it all back. But I think one of the key issues is spending the time on the back end to know who's there, right? So we put a lot of emphasis in reviewing all of our department comps, And knowing the utilization rates and who's sitting there and why are they sitting there we're looking at ticker transfers and how are they pushing out from accounts are they same regions how are we connecting with those people and funneling them back into our data warehouse and creating journeys that matter to them that's not something we focused on before that was one of the opportunities and spaces uh that we recognized a few years ago um so i think some of that goes back to human capital are we giving enough space to think about those things and put those people in the funnel versus thinking about new tech to identify them because we're we're getting at least 60, 70, 80% of them. So let's focus on maximizing those. Uh, and I think that's where we're going to put more emphasis going forward.
0: Absolutely. no, I love it. And, and Michael, finally, question three, it's not always easy to get into sports and entertainment, specifically the route that you're in from the business intelligence analytics side. You go online, there's not a ton of job openings there. What's your advice on how to break in and be successful kind of in that BI analytics data
1: side? Yeah, I, I still think that, if people reach out to roles that they care about and are interested in, most people are willing to respond and talk with them. Yep. And I think building those early relationships matter. I think the other piece is just apply um, and make sure you apply with the right skill sets. I was talking with someone who is a hiring manager of a role actually this morning. And they were like, yeah, but he likes to talk about how team sports gets hundreds and hundreds of applications, but you boil it down and maybe 10% of them have the skill set you're looking for.
0: To truly do. And it. so
1: yeah. And so it's a Don't hesitate to reach out. Make sure you're applying and you're applying with skills and just say yes, right? And just say yes and be willing to do that work. Uh, And it may not be the pay you're expecting in year one or year three, year five, uh, but eventually you will break through. Um, And think when that uh, passion aligns, it will feel good.
0: I love that. And it's, it's truly a marathon, not a sprint, right? It it may not be the title. It may not be even the location may not be the finances, but it's something you can build upon. And Michael, what a great career you've had. As you think back, what's been your best memory?
1: Man, I, (laughs) uh, I think from a memory angle, one getting to see Ricky Skaggs get inducted to the country music hall of fame, playing Bill Monroe's mandolin had to be one of the most special things in my life. Um, But I think from a, from a team in, I think I have really enjoyed being around people that that have the same passion I do to do projects. And so it's like at CMA, we built a data team from scratch that was multiple departments. It wasn't just this data team that was fighting for things. We got IT and marketing and membership. And when we get to the end of a project and everybody is thrilled about where we got to, I think those are some of the best memories I've had versus like on the event side. you know, I've been able to travel the world with the Aspire Group, go to some amazing sporting events and meet some amazing people. Uh, But I think at the end of the day, what gets me excited is when we we sit in the bowl, we look up and it's full or we're going to a meeting the next day and we realize we've achieved those objectives. And everybody's really filled and feel like they got moved to step forward. Uh, Those things kind of sit on me a lot longer uh, than maybe some X, Y, Z sporting event I went to, you know, three years ago.
0: Love it, Michael. Ton of great advice. Certainly fun to hear about your journey. To close it out, I'd like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Going to try. If you had a boat, what would you name it?
1: parsimonious
0: if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life what would it be sushi octopus some type of seafood all right if you could go to dinner with anyone and whether it be alive or passed away who would it be
1: Ooh. uh this one's gonna be abstract i would absolutely love to go to bill dinner with aaron copeland who was this old american uh classical writer Just really phenomenal and and meant a lot to me when I was growing up.
0: Michael, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day?
1: All right, I'll try to do this quick. Um, Do it because you love it um, or kind of move on. You know, find that passion point. If you don't have it, then go. Uh, Know that you really don't have to know the answer. You just have to be willing to ask the questions and kind of live in that space, be able to think about it. Uh, And then lastly, just observe you know, critique and then apply it. Uh, I think that's what has kind of led me here. That's what I learned at Aspire mostly is I don't have to be that person. I just have to be someone that's willing to be able to do it uh, and be willing to contribute to that end goal.
0: Love it, Michael. Thank you so much. What a great career. Always a pleasure talking to you. And I certainly appreciate your time and expertise.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Travis. I really appreciate it.
0: Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Please be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week.